it's great to have everybody this morning, and um, we'll probably have a few more that, that come on in. But um, you know this, it's an informal setting, so uh, if you thought breakfast was really good, you can just feel free to get up and go get some more and come back in. So, or if you, maybe you have a um, situation where you need to, you can't sit for very long, that's fine. Just feel free to stand up and walk around in the sanctuary while um, the presenters are sharing with us. And that's okay too. So we want to get hasten the uh, the agenda here this morning, and let's get started again with session two. Session one was phenomenal; it laid an incredible groundwork. I'm looking forward to session two, Brent and Stacy. So we started off this morning with talking about the big lie. And if there's anybody that wasn't here, the big lie says that my performance plus others' opinions equals my self worth, which we talked about being alive from the pit of hell. And what the enemy tries to do is cause you to get your good enough, your worth and value from anything else other than where it needs to be coming from, which is where we're going to be going in this section, in this session, and we're going to talk about it. So I don't know about you guys. I love the outdoors. I love to get away. We get to get away on the weekend. And when I can get away from all the, the work stuff or kids or your responsibilities, all that stuff, I really began to really listen more closely to what God is talking about. You know, I used to work on a commercial salmon boat years ago up in Alaska, and I can remember sitting out on the deck in, in, in the middle of the night, and it was not dark as it was the middle of summer in Alaska, but I would ask these questions. You know, why am I here? I mean, when we get alone, we begin to say, you know, I'm, why am I here? Who am I really? Is it what you see? Is there something more to my life? What is my purpose? Because I really have no doubt that every single one of us were created with a divine purpose by the one who made everything there is. But we have to get alone and get away with our maker so we begin to know his voice when he speaks to us. And then the last one is, you know, will I make a difference? I think we all. Like, I know for, like, for men, I want to be a part of something bigger than myself, something that's worth giving my life to. It's not about me because when it's about me, boy, I fall flat on my face. But when I can make it about the bigger purpose that God has, I've got drive, I've got passion. So what is it that, that men, you know, some of the things that we go through, one of the, the questions that, a men, that men, most men have is, do I have what it takes? You know, in that moment, can I, will I, you know, come through when I'm called upon? And, you know, I, there's all kinds of things in my life, like we talked about in the first session, I wanted to show up for my wife, or I want to show up for my kids, or, you know, I, I do men's ministry all around the country, and I want to show up for all these men. And, but where does the enemy really hit me recently. Where's he hitting me right now? Do I have what it takes? And I'm going to be really transparent with you, and I've never said this from stage before. Um, where is the enemy hitting me right now? By watching everything that's happening in our country. I don't get political. I just, I don't do it on social media. I don't do it what I'm doing here, but here is the, the, the pursuing of the Holy Spirit in my quiet moments. He's saying to me, yes, I understand everything and I have a plan. But my plan also comes through my children. And I'm saying, God, what would you have me do right now when I see so many things that, not my opinion of what I think is right or wrong, but what God says is okay and what isn't okay. What is my role in that? How do I, how do I begin to love people into obedience rather than using fear, shame, and condemnation? God never uses those things to make us go do the right thing. It's his love, it's his grace, it's his perseverance, it's his faithfulness that creates trust in us that we listen to him. And then we can look back over our life and see how he has been faithful through so many challenges in our life. And he takes those challenges and he makes them into gifts 
we go, wow, I never would have been able to get to that place had it not been for your love, your guidance. And that's where God's hitting me right now. The whole do I have what it takes is in this culture. You know, I, I don't know exactly what to do with it. So I'm asking God, give me what it takes to be able to do what you want me to do for my life is not my own. So for a, a woman, it's, it looks a little different. Talk about that. I don't know if any of you are like us, maybe. You're careful when you're around a lot of other people, obviously, but when you have the one you trust and you love, we talk about this stuff in the privacy of our home. What do, you, what do we do with this? We see things happening to our nation, in our nation, in the hearts of believers, things happening to Christians right now being kicked to the curb. Sorry, but that's not okay. And so I want to invite all of you into these discussions, into your home, or with the people that you love and trust, and pray that the Holy Spirit will lead you. How can we be involved in a loving way to be involved in, in this, this climate of, of the, the, we need to be changing and bringing people back? People are hungry. We were um, down at Asbury. You guys heard about the revival that was happening. They didn't call it a revival. The media did. It was more of an awakening. People were hungry for God, but whatever you want to call it, it's a God thing. I had been speaking in Hornbeck, Louisiana the night before, and she called me and said, I want to go down to Asbury. And, of course, I was like, oh, I'm going to be on a plane. I'm going to be tired. You know, it's going to be long. the typical male kind of a response, you know. And she's like, I'm, I'm hungry. I want to see what God is doing. And I said, I do too. I want to push through this. Well, that night at Hornbeck, Louisiana, it was in a town of 400 and some people. There was 550 people showed up. 101 men received Christ that night. I knew something was moving. There was something stirring. So we went down to Asbury, and we drove, I don't know, four and a half hours or whatever to get there. We stood in line seven Seven hours we stood in line before we could get in the building. And people were lined up by the thousands as far as you could see, and they were hungry for God. People from all different countries, everything you can imagine. And we got out of there, and we got in the car, not even sure what we had just witnessed. But what I saw that for me was this generation right now, because I'm going, have we lost this new generation but we saw a hunger. Um, remember the kids right in front of us with the guitars and the girls? And they, for hours, they played guitar and sang praise and worship. People are hungry right now. And we need to show them the love of the one who has called them and has a purpose for their life. So yours was, you know, is my word worthy? Um, we've talked about that. You know, we, we, you watch Stacy's video, and sometimes in the privacy, like at the bed and breakfast we were at, you know, she's like, you know, sometimes I feel like my word isn't worthy because of what I went through in my past. Isn't it funny how we can even allow someone else's sin to make us feel dirty? Your worth and value will never come from what anybody else has done, and it will never come from what you've done, good or bad. That's where we're kind of headed. We're going to talk about identity. So this whole thing with coming together. You know, what is my true identity? I'm going to stand for a second just so I can stretch my legs. So if you go back in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, we're talking about then where does my one true identity come from? The Bible says we're made up of three parts, so let's look at that. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body, three parts, 
be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. When people are talking about this new identity, which in, when you look in chapter 1 of Ephesians, it says the moment that we truly believe, God put, puts his promised Holy Spirit in my spirit, guaranteeing my inheritance into the kingdom of heaven is what it says. So what he does is he puts his promised Holy Spirit into my spirit. Christ is now in me. I don't have to say, Holy Spirit, we invite you to be in this place. I hear that so many times. And I'm going, he's already in you. He's the one that invited you. So once we learn how to connect with Christ in me, the wisdom, my eyes, my love, my compassion, everything, it says in Luke 6 that your true being brims over into true words and deeds. Now when I'm living out of that one true place, which is Christ in me, which is now my one true identity, my true being brims over, and I can have the wisdom and the love and the compassion of Christ and the truth. So that's what it is. So when you look at that light in a darkened room, I want you to imagine this room being pitch black at 3 o'clock in the morning. But the second that you come in and you hit that light switch, darkness must flee. That's what happened the moment that you received Christ as Lord and Savior. When his promised Holy Spirit came into your spirit, darkness must flee. In other words, at the core of who you are, you are totally righteous without sin. You go, well, wait a second, why do I still sin then? Now we're talking, remember it says three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Those are three different things. So let me show you a little diagram I've got here. So your body... That's your flesh. That's the thing that we can see, right? The next layer in, that's my soul. But the soul is not the eternal part of me. That's my mind, my choices, my will, my thoughts, my emotions. But the core, the eternal part of me is my spirit. That's where when God comes in, Christ puts his promised Holy Spirit inside of us. And that is now my one true identity. Paul says in Romans 7, I do the things I don't want to do, but it's not really me doing it. Remember that passage? This is what he's talking about. Yes, I'm doing the things I don't want to do because I'm acting out of my flesh. But when I'm looking at the one truest part of me, it is without blame. And Paul even says, I can't even understand that. How beautiful that is. You see these little arrows? I put these on here. So when the arrow, it, it talks in Ephesians about the enemy shooting these flaming arrows at us. Can the enemy mess with our flesh, our bodies? Absolutely. Can he mess with your soul, which is where your mind, your thoughts? I mean, how many of you had an unhealthy thought just pop into your head even today? Where did that come from? Did it come from God? Did it come from the pizza you had last night? Or is there someone else? The enemy of our souls. But he cannot mess with my spirit. That belongs to God. When you think about how righteous am I, a lot of us don't understand sometimes that core of us is righteous because that's the part that's going to be going to heaven. And that's the part that Christ needed to come from. He had to come for us in that place. There was a, a guy, he died and went to heaven, and he was standing at the pearly gate, and he was talking to St. Peter. And he says, hey, St. Peter, how many points do I have to get into heaven? St. Peter goes, I don't know. How many you got? So he started thinking of all the good things he did. He says, well, you know, he says, I volunteered with, with Cub Scouts. He says, you know, I, I, I delivered meals on wheels for years. And St. Peter goes, eh, I'll give you a point. He's like, just one? He says, well, you know, he says, I got ordained. I was on staff at a church for 17 years. He's trying to come up with everything he can do. And as he's trying to collect these points, some other guy died and just walks right on past the two of them in heaven. And this guy's livid. He goes, how many points did that guy have? St. Peter goes, I don't know. He's not playing this game. But that's what we do. Somehow we think it's that one screen. It's all the good things and all the bad things. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with Christ's good enough. And that he loved us so much at the moment that we truly believed, he gave us the gift of himself, his righteousness.
How beautiful is that? Um, so you heard Stacy's story this morning, and she mentioned in one of the videos that she worked in healthcare. And for the last 20 some years, she's, she's worked in healthcare. But when she would be curled up in the closet, for those who were, were in here, and she would be in there crying, you know, a lot of that was the absence of having a family in her life, not ever knowing who her father was, abandoned by her mother. But when the mornings, when I would get up, you know, she would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to get ready for work. I don't even know 4 o'clock came twice in the same day, unless it's hunting season. I don't know. But I would see her in the bathroom, and I'd hear praise and worship, and I'd come in, and she'd be crying, and she would just fall into my arms, and she was sobbing. And she hated where she was. It was a very volatile um, environment. And so we would, we would pray day after day, week after week, month after month, and wanting God to get her out of there. And basically, one of the reasons why she stayed was she, like we said earlier, she never felt like she was good enough. Remember the big lie? My performance plus others' opinions equals my self-worth. And she was allowing the work environment and people around her to dictate, was she good enough? And it basically kept you there. I mean, share a little bit about that, that like the never and always what the enemy was doing with you. And well, like you said, it was a very volatile, toxic, unhealthy environment, and I would go to work daily in tears like a, like a kid, like kicking and screaming, but I knew I had to bring that paycheck home, and that's all it was, was a paycheck. So, um, privately and to him, I would always say, I'm never going to be good enough for anything better. I'm always going to be stuck here. But I always prayed for discernment to know when the right time would be for me to leave. And something happened about two months ago. And like I said, I was there for 20 years. Um, and it was just like the straw that broke the camel's back. I was like, I'm done. Either you're going to have to do something in addition to this ministry to <laughs> supplement my income, or I, I can't do it anymore. So um, I had, I, mean, I went online to another hospital and put in one job application. And mind you, I'd put in at least 20, 25 over the last three years and never had any luck. And um, so I put this job application in a, a, another local hospital down the road, and I got a call for an interview the very, very next day. I'm like, okay, God, I'm listening. So I went for this interview, and I got home 20, 30 minutes later, and I got a phone call offering me the job. And... Um, she said, I wanted to hire you on the spot, but I, I just needed to talk to these other two management members. And um, so, you know, we, we talked for a few minutes, and I was like, well, I need to talk to my husband. And um, I had 48 hours to think about it. And um, so I finally accepted, and that moved me on to the HR um, part of the onboarding process, you know, with the, the official job offer, and so I talked to HR, and they offered me $4 more on the hour than what I had been making at the other hospital 20 years in, so <laughs> that was kind of a no-brainer there, um, 
So, and tell them about, like, the work culture where she was was awful. Backstabbing, gossiping, and she starts the new job. She's one week in. Or was it wasn't even one day, and we went to the Asbury Revival, and we're in line, and we realize we're not going to get home until 3 in the morning. She has to get up, like, an hour later to get ready to go to work, right? We were, we were six hours into the line, and I got a message, a text message from my new supervisor and she had saw on Facebook that we were down there and she praise God is also a believer and she said I'm giving you the day off tomorrow I want you to absorb what you're there to absorb take your time don't rush back and I'm like what? <laughs> and now the tears that had been every morning such you know tragic things now she has these tears of joy going who is this person? How did God lead me into this place? affirmed over and over and over again that I had made the right decision. And I tell you what, I haven't laughed as much as I've laughed in a long time with this new set of girls. Like, it's, it's a great, great environment. And we prayed for this. We've been praying for this for years. God, where are you? When COVID hit, you know, being a speaker, my phone on March 14th in 2020 began to ring off the hook. With every one of my events for the next 18 months canceled. Well, that's my income, Right. And that's where I found my purpose. We talked about how important, you know, we all have a purpose. Well, here's the thing. When you take, and we're going to talk about this in the main service coming up next, is when we lose purpose, what happens to us? And so I'm sitting up there going, well, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. I'm just all, all this wishful thinking. She's like, you're going to have to go find a job. I don't care whether you're pumping gas or stocking the shelves. you got to go do something. And so we met with our pastor, and we said, what do you think God is saying? And he came back, and he said, what were the three words? Stay the course. And she hated to hear that. <laughs> God's doing something. Stay the course. So we go and we meet with a couple other spiritual advisors that I had in, in, my, in my life. And who did not know our pastor. Who didn't know the pastor nor what he had said. And they said, gave three words. Stay the course. Stay the course. And she's like, ugh. So we get home from church or something. I forget where we had been. And we pull in our driveway. And we have two neighbors that we never, ever see them. And the woman rolls her window down in her car, and she goes, hey, neighbor. Stay the course. <laughs> she, gets, she goes, why does this always happen to you? Why does God speak to you like this? You know, I don't know why God, God has a way of speaking to every single one of us, but here's the thing I do know. When God has that purpose in your life, he will let you know, this is what I want you to do. But you have to know the voice of God. You have to be able to discern the voice of the enemy from the voice of what God is saying to you. And so I know we only have limited time, so I'm going to go a couple of the slides forward. You know, this is really important. I was, what she's talking about, there was a woman that met her in the parking lot of the gas station that she had worked with years ago. She was actually my first manager at this hospital who hired me, and she knew how unhappy that I was, and she just... She gave me the blessing to go. It was, it was kind of. And she's messaging me going, I just got one of these breadcrumbs God just put in front of me. Because she needed that. Because of her story, God treats each of us in a way that he knows that we get it. He knew she didn't have a father. She, or he is her father. And he was shepherding. He was fathering her. Knowing what she needed with tenderness. But was saying, I am making it known to you by the people I'm putting in front of you. I want to explore this. That voice that she now knows is what gave her the courage to move forward into the blessing that God had for her within this. So 
at her new job, boy, I, I don't want to, I don't want to skip over this. At her new job, it's come with one challenge, where the last one was all challenges, and then so many blessings. And before you do this, in the in the video, you know, she talked about you know how hard it was when she was younger. She allowed some men to treat her in a bad way, and she had. Um, I'm not going to you know, use any titles or names or anything, but someone had, had abused her, and she had to go to the police station. And uh, because of this person standing in the community, got off scot-free. And, of course, she's at the new job, and she, I get this message on my phone. I hadn't um, laid eyes on that man for, since I was 18. And um, being in this new office, he's a patient there. I had to, um, I had to come face to face with him, and it's just very professional. But I, I mean, inside, I'm shaking to my bones and scared to death. And um, but I also knew that I had to walk into it. You know, I you, you can run from anything and everything, but if you don't face it, you're still running. So. But like. The, was it the same day just last week when he actually came in and you saw him face to face? Something else happened that day. So this little girl came in with her grandfather, the grandfather's patient. And uh, she's so bright and vibrant and chatty. And um, so I was kind of down at her level and engaging with her. And I was like, what's your name? And I was like, Crystal. She was just in her office on the patient, and she um, told me her mommy was in jail. Um, her grandfather confessed, and you know, she obviously knew what she was talking about. I don't know if she understood the reasons or what that even meant or, or what have you, but um, she, she all of a sudden just threw her arms around me and just hugged me, hugged me for several minutes and kissed me on the cheek, and then she asked me if I'd be her mommy, and she would go home with me, and whew, that was, that was a very moving moment for me, and um, it just broke my heart, because I, it felt like I was hugging myself, and, um, but beyond that, I just wanted to shield this little girl from every negative thought of um, this invisible self-doubting self-worth thing that I felt. I just wanted her to know so deeply that she was loved and that she mattered and that her identity doesn't come from her mom being in jail and so forth. I just, and it kind of goes back into the climate we were in now, too, because um, her baby was unaffected. And I don't know about you guys, but some of the stuff I'm seeing they're doing to our kids, it's really making me mad. And it's a righteous anger, and there's no sin in that. Remember that. But this blessing that she was given that day, it was almost like she was hugging herself. But from what God had brought her through, she was able to extend that now. And pass that on. And that's something that each one of us, whatever your story is, whatever you've been through, God, in a, not in a, in a bad way like using you, like abusing you, no, he will use that to bless someone else if you can allow that to happen. When we stay in this world of the whole woe is me thing, 
We never really get to see what God is doing and give the glory where he has given it. Satan keeps getting the glory if we're quiet about what God's done in our life. That's why I can freely share my story. I wish we had a little bit more time. I'd love to tell both of us, tell more about our stories. But what we want to do is we want to show you through the, the, the trials and the stuff, the mistakes, the sin, whatever in our own lives, how do we get out of this stuff? What do we do with it? So I might need to skip a couple of things. You know, we talked about this, the, the big lie. So where do these lies come from? I'm going to take a few minutes and kind of get passionate here because this is getting into my wheelhouse of what I just can't wait to talk about. Who told you that you were naked? You know, these, these snakes, you know, I've been in, in, in Africa and come face to face literally with some and in, in, hand in hand with some of the deadliest snakes. And I know that what can happen when the enemy's venom gets within you, if you don't have an anti-venom to get rid of it, it's the same thing with the lies of the enemy. If you do not know how to get rid of those lies that he's trying to convince you, like that one slide on, that hers where she was sitting there, it said never and always. What that meant was, that's called a never and always statement. You'll never be good enough. You're always going to fail. Well, is that true? No. Do you do good things in your life? Sure. Do you always fail? No. But the enemy always wants to keep you with these cognitive distortions as you're never going to be good enough. Look at your past. Look at your future. That's what the enemy does. He never wants you to stay in the present with where God is. He wants you looking back at regret or worrying about tomorrow. That's how the enemy continues to keep convincing us. So you go back to Genesis, and you've got Adam and Eve. They've now eaten of the tree. You know, things have changed drastically. And God is walking through the garden, and he's calling out to them, where are you? And Adam responds. He says, we're hiding. And God says, why are you hiding? Anybody remember what the response was? Because we are naked. But here's the question. God responds and says, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you should still be carrying around the shame from that sin that you had back here? Who told you that you should be so worried about this climate that we're seeing happening right now? God has a plan. We can still live in peace when we understand who he is and hear his voice. Who told you that you needed to be worried about all these things and carrying that shame? So then how do we get rid of this? You know, the father of lies, you know, it says in John 8, Jesus is talking and he says, you know, he's a liar. Whenever he speaks, there is no truth within him for he is a liar and the father of lies. You know, so funny you can see this was clear back in 2006 and I had hair it was getting thinner and everything you know I was at the Indiana State Fair right and the wind was like 30 mile an hour as it was going nuts my daughter was sitting beside me I had this hair and I was trying to spray it and keep it so it wouldn't blow keep your head turned the right way so it wouldn't flop up like a sail and it kept flopping up like a sail and about the fifth time it did this number like a mohawk this little kid behind me about five years old can't take it anymore because he keeps seeing it and he grabs my hair and he goes, hey, mister, why does your hair feel like cotton candy? <laughs> that was it. I went home. It was gone. I wasn't. But isn't it funny? This is a black mamba. We caught over in Africa by hand. Dumbest thing I've ever done because that's one of the deadliest snakes in the world. You've got about 10 minutes on the bad side, 30 minutes on the good side, but you're going to die. But why did I do this? It was easier for me to hold this deadly snake than it was to shave my head because I was so worried about what would I look like if I didn't have any hair anymore, right? Will I have a birthmark? Am I going to have a weird-shaped head? We begin to worry about the big lie, my performance plus others' opinions. What are they going to think of me? So you can see how the enemy envenomates us with his lies. This is one of the, um, the opening to my new book. One, there's two of my books back here in the back, but the one that's called The Roar Within, it says, Oh, the power revealed the moment the lion cub roared and understood who he really was. See, a lion doesn't get that roar from how many kills it makes, Right? 
God gave that line its roar. He imputes his roar, his voice, into that line. It's what God does with us. The moment that we believe, he imputes his Holy Spirit, his good enough, his righteousness into us, not by what we've done good or what we've done bad, because he loves us and we came to him. How beautiful. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. This is the verse I've been telling you about. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So this righteousness that he imputes is now my one true identity. It's not like your favorite movie character, maybe it was Maximus or William Wallace or whoever those things were from your favorite movies. Those are all great things. We can see things we want to strive to be. But your one true identity will never come from a cracked pot, which is anyone, all of us who have sin. This is the verse I was telling you about out of Luke 43 to 45. It says, you don't get wormy apples off a healthy tree, nor good apples off a diseased tree. The health of the apple tells the health of the tree. You must begin with your own life-giving lives. Now, here it is. It's who you are, not what you say and do that counts. Your true being brims over into true words and deeds. Imputed righteousness is when God gives us his good enough, his righteousness. Imparted righteousness is when God gives us the ability to go and do those things that we wouldn't choose on our own. We can't even take credit for those things we do because it is the Holy Spirit who is moving us. But that's it. Your true being will brim over. Will you do good things as a believer? Yeah. Is it required that you have to? He doesn't, he's not requiring. He's moving you to do it. So it's not something that you do on your own. So this righteousness, this is one of my, my, my key verses. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to who? All. And how many is all? Like I said, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. When you believe in him and you receive him as Lord and Savior and repent of your sin, you got it. He gives it to you, free of charge, forever. It's yours. He's given you that gift of righteousness. I was uh, speaking for a, a game dinner a few years ago, a sportsman's banquet. And at the, end of the, at the end of the night, I was back at my book table, and the biggest, toughest-looking guy I think I've ever seen came back, and he had his fist clenched. And I thought, what did I say to tick this guy off, right? And then I saw a little boy come running up and threw his arms around him. And as the man looked up, he was breathing kind of hard. Tear was dripping off his nose. And he says, I came here, and you said that who a man is will never have anything to do with how big he is, how tough he is, how many missions he's completed. But does he have the God of the universe in him? He said, I've been a Navy SEAL for 13 years. It was all about the mission. He said, my son and I went out to my pickup truck tonight, and both of us received Christ after you had invited us to receive Christ, and we came back in because I wanted to give you something. And they're both crying. He and his 12-year-old son, he opens up his hand, and he gave me his trident when they go through buds and become a Navy SEAL. And if you understood the power and the respect that Navy SEALs get just by dropping that name, it's incredible. But there you go, whatever names you owns you. And that's where he was getting his good enough from. And he gave it to me, and he says, I want you to give this to your son. My son always wanted to be a seal. He says, I want you to give this to your son. And you let him know whether he ever becomes a seal or he washes out, rings the bell, and quits. That will never identify who he is. It's do you have the God of the universe in you? Because that is where your one true identity comes from. 
So whether you be in the environments like with me being in the outdoor industry a lot, you have to have the right weapon for the job. Because like in Alaska, on the count of one, unhealthy things will happen. I mean, it, things are going to change really quick, and you better know what to do, and you better have the right weapon, whether it's a 1,200-pound you know, grizzly bear charging you, and you've got a 338 wind mag, and you have to be able to drop them on the spot. If you don't know what to do and you freak out and panic because you've never been in a situation like that before, you're dead. So I want to show you some things. And in cognitive therapy, they talk about TEA, thoughts, emotions, and actions. You know, maybe you've gone through some trauma in your life. Maybe you, you dealt with some PTSD, a lot of different things. In cognitive therapy, it talks about how our thoughts create our emotions and our emotions create our actions, right? Whatever you're thinking makes you feel something. And how you feel depends on how you're going to react, act in that situation. So I want you to imagine just for a second, you've got a, uh, a mom and dad they haven't seen each other for. It's been a crazy month of work uh, and, and the whole month. And they've got like a, a, an 11-month-old child, and she's put it to bed. He's rented a movie, The Notebook, you know, and he's got all this stuff on that he's trying to get his environment put together. And she gets the kid to bed. She comes walking out. They're on the couch, and things start to get good. And he's thinking, finally, we have some time alone. And here comes Junior walking down the hallway, right? In that moment, what would be your thought? Kid, you just ruined my night. You know, the emotion is maybe anger, frustration. The action might be get back to bed, swat on the butt, whatever. But I want you to think about this for a second. Let's just change what's going on. Same situation. Here comes Junior walking down the hall. But here's the only difference in the story. It's the first time that child's ever walked. It just took its first steps. You see the difference in how you just felt? Come to mom, come to dad, get the camera, whatever it is, because you changed the thought, what you were thinking. But here's the thing. That's cognitive therapy. It's behavior modification. Unless you change your belief system underneath everything, it's only going to last for so long. That's why the Bible talks us that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind in Romans 12, too. So I want to take you down this path. This is beautiful. So there's you've got, and he tells us um, to take every loose thought, emotion, and impulse and restructure it into a life shaped by Christ. And then in 12.2, you see where it says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We cannot transform ourselves. That only happens when we renew our mind. It's the renewing that God does. I mean, we do, and it's the transformation that he does. That's his part of this. So then how do we take every thought captive. And this is the meat and potatoes of what I wanted to share in this session. I couldn't wait to get to this. This is what changed my life, her life. Um, beautiful. So we talked about past and future. The enemy wants to keep your thoughts in the past or in the future. You know, what if um, in the future, what if my daughter gets pregnant? What if my son gets on drugs? What if COVID hits again and I lose my job? Or in the past, you know, all the stuff we've done that we, we still carry. How do we know if that voice, when we take that thought captive, is coming from God or is it coming from the enemy? Here's how you know. Probably the most important thing I can give you this morning. It looks like this. If the emotion that you're experiencing from the thought you're having lines up with the deeds of the flesh, things like lust, jealousy, rage, envy, then you know that the thought, there's a lie twisted in with it coming from the enemy. Because if you were thinking what was true, your emotion would line up with the fruit of the Spirit. Things like love, peace, patience, joy, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. Let me say that again. If the thought that you're having is creating an emotion that lines up with the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5, you know there's a lie twisted in with it. Maybe it's predicting the future. Maybe it's a never and always statement. There's all kinds of different distortions. So you have to be able to break it down and go, what is the enemy lying to me and what I'm thinking? And then what is true? 
So here's one of the ways when I'm working with people that I walk through. So again, psychology, cognitive therapy says thought creates the emotion, emotion creates the action. So if my thought is, we're talking about enough, I have to be good enough, I have to succeed, right? So if my thought is, I must succeed to be good enough, look what happens to my emotion. I get anxiety, I get worry, I get doubt, I get fear, I get frustration. And then what happens to my action? If I have to be good enough so I have to succeed, I become a workaholic. I might become an alcoholic because of the stress. A porn addict, you name it, whatever that thing is that you would choose to go to, food addict, whatever. Now let's go to workspace theology. Now workspace theology says, yes, it's what Jesus did, but it's also what I do. That's my role. I've got to do the, I've got to help him here, right? Heresy. Looks what happens in workspace theology. If my beliefs shape how I think and my belief system is that my value comes from my performance, not what Christ did on the cross, but, but my performance, I still have to succeed then to be good enough. That's my thought. The emotion stays the same and the action stays the same. No difference. But what happens when we apply the gospel of grace, of Jesus Christ? Grace-based theology that says God put his good enough, his righteousness in me. I can't earn it. Look what happens. My value now comes because God is in me. My righteousness comes from him, not from what I do. What happens now to my thought? I no longer have to succeed to be good enough because I'm already righteous. Do you know how much power there is when we understand this? Look what happens to my, my anxiety. It goes down and my peace goes up. My joy goes up. My self-control goes up. All because of my identity and realizing where it comes from and what happens in my actions. I no longer have to be a workaholic, an alcoholic, a sex addict, fill in the blank. I now have a healthy work ethic. Sin decreases. I was transformed by the renewing of my mind of understanding that my identity, my worth and value, my good enough, came because Jesus loved me the moment I gave myself to him. There's power in that. Amen? Beautiful stuff. So here's the thing I'm going to the wrap things up with. So then how, do we, how can we do this in a simple way? If you got your phone, you want to take a picture of this, this is a $125 counseling appointment right here. I mean, really. And it's this simple. The first thing you have to do is you have to identify the unhealthy emotion that you're struggling with. And how did we know it was unhealthy? Because it lines up with the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5. And you write it down so you can see what, what, it, what you're feeling. The next thing you do, now you look at the thought that was creating the feeling and you write it down. You identify the unhealthy thought and it's unhealthy because it had an unhealthy emotion. You write it down so you can see it. Third, you're going to identify the truth. What does God say about you? What does God say about this? And number four, if you don't do this, nothing changes. You have to renew your mind with truth you just identified in number three. I had a pastor who had been in an affair years ago. I met with him at a table at a Cracker Barrel one Sunday morning, or Saturday morning, and uh, I said, what, what's the emotion you're going through? He said, that's easy. Shame, condemnation, fear. I said, what are you thinking that's making you feel that way? He says, I'm feeling like God's wants me to go back in ministry. It had been like 10 years later. He said, but you know the average, when a pastor has sin like that, the average is like 15 years to get back in ministry. I said, why do you care what anybody else thinks? What is God saying to you? Maybe it won't look the same as it did before, but if he's calling you, whose is the only opinion that matters? I said, so that was your thought. What's everybody else thinking that knows about my sin? What does God say? Identify the truth. And he goes, I don't know. I said, what's he say? He's cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. Therefore, there's no condemnation. I said, you need to keep renewing your mind with that. 
and allow that to transform you because those are the promises of God. I got a call from him. I don't know how many months later he was back in ministry. Everything had changed because he understood his identity came from the one who made him. And his is the only one whose opinion matters. Isn't that beautiful? God, thank you for this time we've had together this morning. Um, We look forward to the next session, what you're going to unpack in our hearts, those aha moments that we need to hear that you know we desperately need to feed on. And so, Father, bring healing and restoration um, as we keep going on this morning. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well done. Thank you again. So, um, undergrad, I had the Book of Romans. Graduate school, Book of Romans. Listen to me. What he just showed you is the book of Romans in a practical, applicationary sense. What he just shared with you, he simplified so much information and made it easily accessible to you in your daily walk, in your daily life. He has given you, by God's grace, they both have given you such a gift. Such a gift. Now take it, unwrap it, live it out. Let's take a, a, a brief break here. We're going to reconvene at 10 o'clock for our worship service. We'll give these guys a break. One of the ways we say, say thank you is to visit the book table and grab up a couple of those books and read some more good things. And uh, let's keep growing and changing for the glory of God. Amen? All right. Take a break. Well, again. <laughs>